0: Well, good morning, church family. We're so excited you're here to join us. You can go ahead and take a seat. Before we get started, um, we just have a couple of announcements to let you know what's going on here at church. The first is, I um, just personally wanna thank you so much for your powerful prayers about our Columbia missions trip. I had the privilege to go on it and it was amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you for those prayers. We had the opportunity to work with La Maria Group, which is an organization that's really just about caring about the community just so that we can share the love of Christ. So we got to go to nursing homes, we got to to hang out with kids. It was an amazing time. So thank you so much for your prayers.
1: Fairfax, we are super excited to announce uh, a new thing that we're gonna be doing here called No Child Without. Uh, We get questions a lot about how can we support the resource center and get involved with what's happening in the community. So the QR code that's up here, or you can go to the coffee shop and scan that, you'll get on a list. And as needs come up in the community, we will distribute that out to you. So as you're kind of thinking, how can I get involved? It'll be a good opportunity for you to jump in at a moment's notice.
0: Well, speaking of getting involved, we have so many amazing events happening this summer. And for you to be able to find out what's happening, um, you can go to our website at fairfax.cc backslash summer. It'll tell you about all the events happening. So if you want a small group, we are going to have some recommended like readings that we'll put on there. Um, everything you need to know, whether you're thinking about your child, your teen, or yourself, we would love for you to head over to our website at fairfax.cc backslash summer summer.
1: We thought we'd get it kicked off today with baptism weekend. How about that? Man, what a celebration we had at the last service, and I know it's going to be just as big this time. Uh, My friend Luke Burton is getting baptized today. We are so excited for Luke, and we're going to be celebrating with him later. Special welcome to everyone here that's just visiting to bear witness to that. We are so excited that you're joining us today. Um, as Izzy said earlier when she talked about the Columbia trip, there's nothing that we can do here at Fairfax uh, in this church, in the community, or around the world without your generosity. Uh, if this is a community you'd like to get involved in or you haven't gotten into it yet, you can visit us at fairfax.cc give for more information. That's all we have now, but I definitely want to invite Rod up to be with us this morning. And if you guys would just join us in a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. And we just thank you for the lives that are gonna be transformed at the end of this service. Um, God, we thank you for the privilege to be a part of that and to be a witness to it. God, we invite you into this presence now. And we ask that you just open our hearts and prepare us to hear the word that you prepared for us. God, be with Rod as he delivers the message. And God, we just love you so much. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, let me
2: just say a word Uh, Ronnie mentioned about baptism is that uh, we've got a a lot of folks that are being baptized this weekend, which is just awesome, celebrating lives that have been raised to life in Christ, and um, a lot of people have read, sure, they've come prepared, but if... uh, in the course of the service, just as we talk about what this is all about, uh, if you sense God kind of tapping you on the shoulder and say, yeah, now's the time and I want to get baptized, um, you can do that. Don't need to worry. We've got everything that you need to change into to be baptized and towels dry off and all that kind of stuff. So you don't have to worry about any of the logistics. Um, uh, just kind of be open to whatever God is is really saying to you in This moment. All right, so we're in the fifth week of this Ephesian series, and I mention every week that, just give a little context, that Ephesus was this um, amazing city of uh, the first and second century. It was uh, uh, a city, uh, it was a a center of commerce, it was a city uh, of a center of economic. Uh, influence, uh, political influence, military influence, uh, philosophical influence, just all kinds of influence, kind of the New York City of the day. And Paul uh, went to Ephesus to uh, share the gospel and kind of this strategic idea. The reason Paul went to cities is his His idea was that if the gospel took hold in the city, that cities were bringing people into the city and that people were going from the city into other parts of the world. And if the gospel took hold in the city, then it was the opportunity was there for it to spread. And that's exactly what happened. People came to Jesus in Ephesus and uh, a church was started at Ephesus. Other churches were started around Ephesus. The gospel spread from Ephesus. Paul was there for a few years and then, Left and years later, he's in prison and he writes a letter to a number of churches that he helped to start. One of them is, uh, is Ephesus. And uh, it's this letter that, we call the book of Ephesians. It was probably read initially to the church at Ephesus and kind of churches that were surrounding in the region as well. Um, and that's what we've been studying over the last several weeks and, uh, and over the next couple of weeks as we kind of wrap all this up. Today, we're looking at Ephesians 4. And as I, I mentioned earlier, this is Baptism Sunday. And baptism is all about celebrating life um, transformed through Jesus Christ, uh, people being raised to life in Christ. And in chapter two, Paul describes like what that is. Jess did an amazing job uh, a few weeks ago, uh, kind of unpacking the first part of chapter two, which is all about what does it mean to be raised to life in Christ? And this is how Paul describes it in chapter two. He says, as for you, you were dead you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It wasn't, you, yours weren't sick. It's not just that you needed a little tweaking, you needed a little fixing, whatever. Like No, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, past tense, that we have already been raised up. If we're in Christ, we've already been raised to life and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Like that's our present reality if we are a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, remember I told you at the beginning of the series that Ephesians is basically divided into two parts. Uh, Chapters one through three is basically about the gospel story. It's basically about... The fact that we are raised to life in Christ and and what it means to be raised to life in Christ. And then chapters four through six are basically about our story. In other words, the implications of being raised to life in Christ. Like here's what a life that's been raised to life in Christ looks like. And uh, so chapters four are focused on our story. Chapters one through three are focused on the gospel story. And so as we move into chapter four, we're moving into this part of the book that's focused on, okay, what are the implications of being raised to life in Christ? Like, what does it look like for a person who's been raised to life in Christ? And uh, that's what chapter four is all about. And this is what he says. This is kind of the core of the chapter. And uh, we'll come back to this a little bit later, but I just wanted to get you the sense of the core of what he's saying in chapter four. He's saying, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now we'll unpack that a little bit more Later, but the first thing I want you to see is Paul is saying that that living out this new life in Christ that being raised to life in Christ is about putting something off and taking something off it and, and putting something on it 's about putting off your old self, he calls it, or putting Off, Like your old life before you were raised to life in Christ and putting on your new self, putting on your new life that you have taken on because you were raised to life in Christ. That that's the essence of what it means for us to be raised to life in Christ. Paul's reminding us that becoming a follower of Jesus is not just about making a decision. Now there's a decision that's involved in becoming a follower of Jesus, but it's not just about making a decision, that becoming a follower of Jesus, being raised to life in Christ is not just about praying a prayer. Now there's a prayer that is involved in making that decision, but that being raised to life in Christ is not just about making a decision or praying a prayer. It's not just about getting your ticket, punched for heaven. It's not just about getting your I'm saved card, or your I'm in good with God card, or your I'm a Christian card. Like that's not the essence of what it means to be raised to life in Christ. Becoming a follower of Jesus is about profound and lasting change. It's about being raised to life in Christ. It's about going from your old Life, your old self to your new life, your new self. And chapter four is all about what that looks like. Like what that looks like lived out in an actual person's life. Like what does it look like? And Paul begins by telling us some of the things that characterize this new life, like this resurrected life. And this is what he says in the first three verses. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So Paul is saying like in a world that's filled with pride, those who have been raised to life in Christ assume a posture of humility. They aren't trying to impress anyone with their accomplishments or their success or their possessions or their talents. They aren't constantly trying to sell themselves to everyone else or to sell their brand to everyone else. They aren't always telling stories where they're the hero of the story, that usually when they tell a story, someone else is the hero of the story, that those who have been raised to life in Christ are living this countercultural life that's not filled with pride or defined by pride, but is a life where there's a posture of humility. Paul says in a world filled with harshness, those who've been raised to life in Christ are gentle. Like they aren't constantly wounding people with their words or their actions or their, their attitude or their posts on social media. Like they're not, they're not constantly wounding people. You can trust them to say the right thing or to do the right thing. When when life gets messy, when someone's hurting, when someone's going through a really difficult time, they're gentle. You, You know that they will say the right thing at the right time. Paul is saying in a world filled with impatience, those who have been raised to life in Jesus Christ are patient. Yes, they are patient on the beltway Yes, they are patient when they are in the checkout line with the checkout person at the grocery store or at Walmart. Yes, they are patient with their server at the restaurant uh, who maybe is not getting the food to the table as quickly as they. Yes, they're patient with all of that, but more important than that, they are patient with those who are struggling to change. They're patient with those who fail and fall and, and don't always deliver on what they promised that they were going to deliver on that don't always do what they, what they said that they were going to do. They're patient. They bear with them in love the same way that Jesus has done for them. Paul says in a world filled with conflict and division, even in the church, those who have been raised to life in Christ are always working to bring unity and peace. And it's not a unity and peace that comes at the cost of abandoning one's convictions or abandoning one's deeply held beliefs. Paul says it is, it's interesting the phrase he uses, it is a unity of the spirit. A unity of the spirit. In other words, it's giving space for the spirit of God to work in every conflict, in every Conversation in in every uh, situation where there are differences of opinion, it's giving space for the Spirit of God to work. It's keeping, uh, it's seeking to keep relationships whole, even with those who you profoundly disagree with. That's the first thing. Second thing, Paul tells us that this new life, this resurrected life, when we go from the old to the new, this resurrected life is not just a me and Jesus thing that we have to try to figure out. Like, it's not just that you're raised to life in Christ and then you are on your own to figure out like what that means, which is generally how we sometimes function and think that, okay, like we make this decision to follow Jesus and then it's me and Jesus and we're just trying to figure out this whole thing of like, what does it mean to live the resurrected life and all that? No, Paul says that living out this new life is a team sport. It is absolutely a team sport. God has given us the church to help us live this stuff out. This is how Paul describes it. He says, but to each one of us, grace, gifts, spiritual gifts, that's what he's talking about in this context, gifts, spiritual gifts, grace has been given to Christ as he has apportioned it, that he gives all of these spiritual gifts to everyone in the body. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and <laughs> long Pauline run on sentence and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, then, when that happens, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So Paul says that everyone who's been raised to life in Christ has been given spiritual gifts, unique abilities, talents, uh, passions, all of that. And the purpose of these spiritual gifts is not just to get stuff done in the church. Like sometimes we reduce the spiritual gifts down to just like getting stuff done in the church. But it's not just about getting stuff done. The purpose, according to Paul, is so that those who have been raised to life in Christ can grow up, can grow up, spiritually. And Paul says it in a number of ways. In verse 13, he says, so that we can become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In verse 14, he says, so that we will no longer be infants. We'll no longer be spiritual babies. And then in verse 15, he says, so that we can grow up into Christ. Paul is saying that the central function of the church And the central function of the spiritual gifts that each of us have been given is to see people raised to life in Christ and then to help them grow up spiritually. And the reason that's so important is because when you're raised to life in Christ, and we forget this sometimes, you don't all of a sudden become a a spiritual adult when you're raised to life in Christ. Like you're a newborn, you're an infant. And, and here's the thing, what's interesting is that Paul includes himself, like he's not writing to the Ephesians and saying, you guys are a bunch of spiritual babies. Like you need to grow up, you are just so immature, you need to grow up, you need to, you need to become more mature. No, no, he's not, he's, he's including himself in that. We, he says. We who are infants, we who are needing to be spiritually mature, he's talking about himself even as an apostle. And what Paul is kind of reminding us of here is that no matter how long we've been a follower of Jesus or what we've accomplished in ministry, or how much spiritual authority that we have or that we've been given or how successful we've been administered or whatever it is, we still have to deal with our tendency at times to function more like a spiritual infant, like a spiritual baby than like a spiritual adult. Like living out this new life that's ours in Christ doesn't happen overnight, it takes time. We have to keep working on this matter of, of growing spiritually, of maturing spiritually. Even apostles can be what Paul is saying. Even apostles can be infants at times. And it's not always, you know, we would love it. And I think the sense that we have is that we make a decision to follow Jesus. We're spiritual babies when we do that. And then we, we grow and we become mature. And, and we get this sense that it's supposed to be this smooth trajectory, That it's like, you know, okay, I'm a spiritual baby. And then like I continue to grow and it's just like up and to the the right is this spiritual growth. But the reality is that it's not this kind of smooth, linear trajectory of growth that oftentimes it's like three steps forward and two steps back or three steps forward and seven steps back. Like sometimes this... This process of growing to maturity, of growing up in our faith is a very uneven kind of process. And Paul is saying that this is the goal of the church is to see people raised to life in Christ and then to help them help each other to become spiritually mature. Now, before I leave this section, I just want you to notice one other thing. Paul says, everyone in the church, every single person who's a follower of Jesus has a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. Gifts, talents, passions, abilities, things that God has entrusted them that can help the church accomplish its mission in the world. But he also is saying here, there's this subset in the church. He calls them pastors, teachers, evangelists, spiritual leaders. In our church, it would basically be our staff, uh, the spiritual leaders of the church, whose primary role is to equip the rest of the church to use their spiritual gifts to help people become spiritually mature. Which means that the primary role of staff in the church this is the this is hugely important that the primary role of staff in the church, not just our church, like any church is not just to carry out a particular task. And it doesn't matter how gifted you are at that task, how good you are at that task, how proficient you are at that task, Like that the role, like yes, staff, spiritual leaders have unique gifts and talents and passions and abilities, but the role of spiritual leadership is not just to carry out a particular task. Our calling is to equip and mentor you the church. Our calling is to unleash you to change the world and to build up the body of Christ. That's the second thing. Lastly, Paul reminds us that this new life in Christ is not just about forming a new set of behaviors. And this is so important because I grew up in a church where it came across at times that you made a decision to follow Jesus and then kind of it was just about this new set of behaviors that you should have in your life and this news, these behaviors that you shouldn't have in your life and that kind of living the resurrected life became just behaviorally driven. Uh, but Paul is saying that it's not just about forming a new set of behaviors. Now, it's not that behaviors are not important. They're incredibly important. In verses 25 through 32 in the book, Paul lists some of the behaviors that he says should accompany a life that's been raised to life in Christ. And and I'll just read read the, the, the list to you. Verse 25 and following. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, you can get angry, but don't let your anger cause you to sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, you know, um, deal with angry, deal with anger, deal with that stuff. Get it out. Talk about it. Process it. All of that. Do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands so that he may have something to share with those in need. In other words, don't steal from other people, like do something productive that allows you to have something that you can actually share with someone else. So instead of stealing from someone else, give to someone else. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Wow, we don't need to hear that in our culture at all today. Like, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So like everything that we say, even if it's hard, even if it's a tough truth, even if it's confrontation, like everything should benefit the people that we say it to and we should say it in a way that they can receive it. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you so Paul says that those who have been raised to life in Christ like there's these things that they shouldn't do these things they should do yes they shouldn't lie they shouldn't let their anger lead to sin they shouldn't steal they shouldn't Use their words to tear people down. They should use their words to build people up. They they should get rid of bitterness and rage. And instead they should be kind and compassionate and loving just like Jesus has been kind and compassionate and loving to them. All of that. Now you read a list like this and it's easy to assume that being raised to life in Christ is just about behaving better. But that's not the point that Paul is making. Being raised to life in Christ is not just about being nice It's about being new. It's about moving from the old to the new. And we're reminded of that when we read the verses that immediately precede verses 25 through 32. And that's what I read earlier, verses 22 through 24. You cannot get to 25 through 32 32 without going through verses 22 through 24. And this again, this is what they say. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say put off your old behaviors and put on these new behaviors. He says, put off your old self and put on... The new self. Paul is saying that this newness is about being something before it's about doing something. He's saying that change happens, true change happens from the inside out. He's saying that just like our old behaviors flowed out of our old life and our old self, our new behaviors will flow out of our new self, out of our new life. And the reason that's so important is because when people are trying to decide if they want to go all in on this Jesus thing, when they're trying to really decide, am I, am I tired of being on the margins? Do I really want to commit my life to Jesus? Do I really want to put my stake in the sand and say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. I am, I am saying, yes, He is my Lord and my Savior. I'm trusting my life to Him. That oftentimes the calculus that people are going through of like whether they're going to make that decision has to do with behavioral questions that they ask. Questions like, for instance, questions like, well, if I really become a follower of Jesus, does that mean i have to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend? Or if I really become a follower of Jesus, does that mean I have to start giving more of my money away? Does that mean I have to start tithing? Oh my God, I can't believe I have to start tithing. Like, does that mean that I have to start giving more money away? Or if I really become a follower of Jesus, will I have to to forgive my sister who I haven't talked to in two years and I don't like? Will, Will I have to forgive my parents? Will I have to forgive my spouse? In other words, the questions are all about if I become a follower of Jesus, Will there be all these things that I have to stop doing and all these behaviors that I have to start doing. And what Paul is saying is that's the wrong question. Wrong question. The question is not, are you willing to take off old behaviors and put on new behaviors? The question is, are you willing to take off your old self and put on the new self? Are you willing to allow Jesus to transform you from the inside out? Are you willing to give him control in your life and and let the behaviors and the attitudes flow out of this new life, this resurrected life that you have experienced? And when you make that decision, it doesn't mean that everything just like changes in a moment. The newness happens in a moment. Like when a person makes a decision to follow Jesus, like they are made new in that moment. They are resurrected to new life in that moment. But living out the newness happens over time. The Paul, the the word that uh, Paul uses or the phrase he uses in verse 23, is to be made new, talking about this transformation, to be made new. The phrase is the present progressive. The present progressive means that this is something that is happening now, but it will also continue to happen. It's an ongoing process. And that's what Paul is saying about our new life in Christ. Yes, when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are made new right now, in this moment, but it doesn't stop there. We continue, he is saying, we continue to be made new. The newness is this ongoing process. It, it, it's kind of like the vows that people make on their wedding day, that a couple makes on their wedding day. Like they make all these glowing vows about how they're going to love each other and how much they love each other and how they're gonna be faithful to each other and love each other in the future and all, the, all of these wonderful things that they're gonna do and how much they love them and how they're gonna live out that love and all of that. And, and, it's, and it's incredibly moving and everybody cheers and everybody cries at the glorious and profound words that are being spoken. And those are really, really important, important words. But that doesn't mean, you know, we all know this, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden, they have this perfect love that they will never ever disappoint each other or let each other down. Like there's nothing magical that happens just because they say those words or they say those vows. In that moment of saying those words and making those vows, in that moment, the bride and groom don't all of a sudden become sinless human beings who perfectly reflect the love of Christ to their spouse. No, the wedding vows, the commitment, the wedding vows, those are the starting point. The transformation in a healthy marriage, the transformation, the living of that out happens over time. In the same way what Paul is saying, being raised to life in Christ is the starting point for this new life. The transformation happens over time. Of course, this new life that Paul is talking about is only made possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, right? Like on the cross, Jesus bore the consequences of our old life so that we could experience his new life. He gives to us his new life. This new life that he's talking about that is ours is only ours because it's been given to us by Jesus on the cross. Jesus took on the consequences of your and my old life and he gave us his new life. And that's the transaction that has happened on the cross. It's what Christ did for us on the cross that makes it possible for us to go from death to life, which is what every person has done. That has become a follower of Jesus. Maybe you don't Think of it that way at times, but that's what's happening in your life. There's miracles happen. If you're a follower of Jesus, miracles happen where you have gone to death to life. Uh, every person who gets baptized today, that's what they're declaring that they have gone from death to life. That's why baptism looks the way it looks like it's it, it's a symbol of what Christ did for you. So Christ died <laughs> and was buried, and then He was raised on the third day. But it's also a symbol of what's happened in your life, that as you've entered into Christ, that you died to your old self, your old sinful self, and you became a new person in Christ, a new life in Christ. So every person that's being baptized today is declaring that they have experienced the miracle of going from death to life, and that is, an incredible, incredible testimony. From, uh, from a physical perspective, I feel like over the last five months that uh, I've had my own death to life experience. Uh, as most of you know, over the last five months since my cancer diagnosis, the, the cancer in my body has been uh, diminishing. The, the target therapy has been working. God has been healing in my body. But this week, And I had no idea this was gonna happen this week. It's, you know, as I, I mean, this sermon and baptism and all of this, like this was planned a long time ago. I had no idea that this would be the week that I would kind of get this news. But this week I got back the most recent blood work. Uh, I have this blood work done that basically identifies the presence of cancer in the body. And for the first time since my diagnosis, the results were in the standard range. And, uh, yeah, now, now standard doesn't sound like awesome. Like standard just seems like standard, you know, it's just like, Hey, how are you doing? Well, standard, you know, it's just like, like but standard's awesome because what it means is that for the first time since I've been taking these tests and I've had these tests done a bunch over the last five months is that. Um, the, the number, the numerical number, a number is assigned uh, with all of the test results. And the number uh, for this one was the number that you would expect from someone who has never, ever had cancer in their body. That that's what it means to be in the standard range. So I am just celebrating the manifestations of God's grace. Don and I are celebrating the manifestations of God's grace. Um, We are so thankful for what God is doing and thankful for your prayers and please keep praying. And, and uh, it's just been this amazing, amazing thing. Now, here's the thing. And I, I think this is really important to say, I, I don't presume to know what the future holds. Like none of us know what the future holds. That, that, that's, that's the reality of life. Even as followers of Jesus, like we don't know what the future holds. I don't presume to know what the future holds. I had no idea on December 26th what I was going to find out on December 27th and how it turned my world upside down. And I have no idea as I stand here today, no idea what the future holds. None of us have any idea what the future holds. Jesus, whenever the disciples would come to Jesus and, and say, hey, tell us what the future holds. And Jesus would kind of say, Hey, that's not, that's not yours to know. And there are things that the father knows that not even the son knows. So basically don't worry about the future. Um, worry about what God is doing in the present. So I, I, I don't presume to know what the future holds, but as I've said before, I know who holds the future. I know the one who's in charge of the future and I have put my trust in him. And that's, that's all that matters. But here's the thing that even though I don't know what the future holds and even though, you know, as it's, it's uncertain as it is for anyone, in this moment, in this moment, I bear witness to what God has done. In this moment, I bear witness to the fact that I have gone physically, I've gone from death to life. In this moment, I bear witness to that. Like that is my testimony in this moment. I bear witness to that. And, and when you've gone from death to life, like we've had the journey that I've had over the last five months, regardless of what. The future holds. Like, how can you not, how could I not bear witness to what God has done? How could I not bear witness to going from death to life? Like when you go from death to life, you just have to bear witness to that. Now, before we celebrate uh, our baptisms, I just want to say a word to, to two groups of people. First, I just want to address those of you that are here, or maybe you're part of our online community or whatever, and you have, you've never yet been raised to life in Christ. And, and I just wanna say, if you fall in that category and you're trying to make that decision, you're trying to think that through and trying to figure out you know, all that that means, I just wanna say that, that what's happened in my body over the last five months, it pales in comparison to what God has done in my soul. Is that physically over the last five months, I've been raised to life in a new way and so thankful for that, praising God for that. But I've been raised to life in my soul my whole life because of what Christ has done for the cross on the cross and because I've said yes to that. My my past has been forgiven because of that. My future, no matter what my future is, my future has been secured because of that. There's purpose and meaning in my present life because of that. That yes, I've been raised from death to life. I've gone from death to life physically over the last five months, but... Eternally, I've gone from death to life. And nothing, every, everything, everything pales in comparison to that. And if, and if you've never said yes to what Christ has done for you on the cross, I, I pray that you will go from death to life as well that you will say yes to the forgiving, transforming grace that Christ offers you. And when we pray in just a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. Secondly, I wanna just say a word to anyone who's here today who's already been raised to life in Christ. You've already gone from death to life. That's your testimony, all of that. But for whatever reason you've not bore witness to that through baptism. And I know I am totally and fully aware that there are all kinds of ways to bear witness to that. That we can bear witness to that and should bear witness to that through our the, the things that we say verbally, through just simply talking about the fact that I have gone from death to life because of what Christ did for me on the cross. We bear witness to that in the way that we live our lives. We live our lives as as resurrected people, living out the kinds of things that Paul is talking about in chapter four. All of that, I, I understand all of that. But for 2,000 years, one of the ways that Christians across the centuries have celebrated consistently going from death to life is through baptism. It's the one singular consistent act that has declared to the world I've gone from death to life and I want to bear witness to it. So I invite you, even if you didn't come today um, having already made that decision, that if that's you and you've gone from death to life, I invite you to Join with the saints throughout the ages and bear witness to that. And it doesn't matter if you were raised to life in Christ today or last week or last month or last year or 20 years ago, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Bear witness to what God has done. It doesn't matter if you were baptized as an infant because of the anticipatory faith of your parents, because they wanted you to come to a place where you, made a decision to go from death to life, and now you've made that decision. Doesn't matter that you were baptized as an infant. Bear witness. Bear witness to that. And like I said, don't worry about logistic stuff. We've got all of that covered. Here's what's going to happen in the next few moments. I'm going to pray a prayer. We're going to send everyone out, and uh, we're going to worship together, and everyone's being baptized even if you make the decision today like i said everything's out there and, and uh if, if you make the decision today and you go out in the lobby there's a table there and they'll get you all the stuff that you need and show you where to stand there's lots of people being baptized there'll be plenty of time to get changed and all of that uh so don't worry about that and uh, i don't know if you've ever been a part of a baptism here at, at fairfax but uh um uh, family members can go out, friends can go out uh, in the lobby, but we'll be showing the baptisms here uh, in the sanctuary and worshiping God and celebrating what God has done. So it's just an amazing, amazing time as we just, as we just celebrate the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And uh, so I just pray um, that as we pray and as we go through this time, that whatever it is that God is doing in your heart, that you will be in the yes position to that. God we're just so thankful for what you have done for us in Christ and that we have this opportunity to go from death to life and today we bear witness we bear witness how could we not bear witness to what you have done in our lives and so Lord I pray for anyone here anyone part of our online community that has been thinking about this decision but hasn't made this decision Lord I pray that today is the day to just to pray a simple prayer Jesus thank you for dying for me on the cross I say yes I say yes to your forgiveness and your grace I say yes to that My life's messy. I don't don't know how all that will play out. But Lord, I want to begin the journey. And so I say yes. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would always bear witness to what you have done. But I pray for those who are being baptized today in this ancient, singular act that says to the world, I once was dead, but now I am alive. We pray that in the name of Christ. Everyone said, amen. All right, would you stand together with me? And we're gonna send out everyone who's getting baptized, all the family members that wanna go out with them. We're gonna worship. Would you just celebrate as they go out into the lobby? an incredible day